This is your host of the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast. I'm Leisha Holmes, and I just wanted to say thank you for choosing to listen to our episode. Now, before we start, I would like to thank our sponsors, Hoxo Media and Vincere. I will explain a bit more about them later on in the episode as to how you, our listener, can benefit from a unique discount by mentioning the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast when you contact them. Now, remember to click subscribe as you're listening now to get notified of every new weekly episode of the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast. Without further ado, let's jump in to the episode. This is Leisha Holmes and I'm your host on the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast and I am beyond excited to introduce to our community today somebody that I've actually known, I dread to think how many years it is, it's possibly heading for about 15 years since we first met. This is David Jenkins and he is the owner and founder of Vertical Advantage and Nurture Talent and he's coming all the way from, is it London you're in? Down south somewhere? Yeah, yeah, based in London Bridge. Oh there you go, well welcome to the channel today, how are you David? I'm great, I'm really really good, I was on holidays last week so just getting back into the swing of things. Lovely. Final pushes. We record this in October 2021. We're all sort of throwing ourselves through the final quarter of this year. And it's certainly been a, a very a roller coaster year, but hopefully one that we're all experiencing success and, and joy for. So for those who aren't yet familiar with your businesses, do you want to give us a brief introduction as to what Vertical Advantage and Nurture Talent actually do? Yeah, sure. Um, and Vertical Advantage has been going for nine years. We're a specialist recruitment company mainly based around the FMCG and consumer sector. So we work with across three main areas, supply chain procurement, sales and marketing, and e-commerce and digital. So it's all with kind of brands from, you know, large businesses like Nestle's, Unilever's, through to SME brands. But we also work with a lot of consultancies who work within the, and kind of marketing agencies who work within that space as well, a lot within the digital side. And we're doing a lot with kind of marketplace platforms, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera, eBay. So we work um, in those kind of key areas in that business. We've got 15, 16 people. And then Nurture Talent is a business that um, we kind of incubated initially within Vertical Advantage and then launched in April of this year, um, which essentially goes into scale-ups, growth businesses or companies that want to st- open up an office in a particular location and are doing a batch of hiring and they don't want to use the traditional recruitment method. They prefer to pay, have an in-house recruiter working on their behalf for six, nine, 12 months and pay on a monthly basis as opposed to pay traditional recruitment fees and we cover everything. Wow, so, so it's like an RPO model really. Mini R- a mini RPO model that you can kind of turn on and turn off as and when you need it. It's more cost effective, but it's more of an embedded kind of service. Absolutely wonderful intro and far far better than if I'd have tried to do, do it in a clunkier way. And and I love when I speak to any company that partners the FMCG market, I just think, God, it must just be so exciting to work with, like you say, reputable brands that we've all got in our cupboards, but those that are up and coming as well. Which is your most exciting sort of new new thing that you think we should all know about? What products should we all be buying? Oh, do you know what? There's a business that we've been that we've been helping recently called Quinola. Okay. Um, um, and they are like the story behind the brand. It's only a seven person business. Really, really interesting. It's super, super healthy, but super, super ethical as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were introduced to them via a, um, a, a VC business called Mission Ventures. And Mission Ventures are all about improving the health 
of children and reducing child obesity. So they only invest in SME brands that are like really, really kind of, it's all about the kind of the health side of things. And they've done some joint ventures. They did a joint venture with Warburton's. So Warburton's are now investing in loads and loads of like bread-based products that are all about kind of health. So he's just getting into this world of SMEs that are all about health. And it's really, really, really interesting. So yeah, you know, you, it's really interesting. So I, I was involved in hiring a really, really senior role for an espresso in the last quarter. But then also you go and you deal with these guys and it's a, you know, it's a totally different challenge. So yeah, pretty interesting. Equinola out. Right. We'll, we'll make sure we try and tag them on this post because um, this isn't what our podcast is actually about. So the episode isn't about food or drink or anything like that. But um, I'm passionate about anything that gets us all eating healthier because I love food. I, I'm, yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, as I finish one meal, I'm always just thinking about the next meal. And, and I'm super, anyone that knows me, I'm super, super healthy. Um, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I do like a nice bar of chocolate every now and again. But I just think any brand that is going to help create healthier choices for everybody, including children. Yeah. Wonderful things, so, and I'm all about the sustainability and the ethical side. So that's brilliant. So we're going to talk today because obviously you and I have known each other just to put some context around it. Um, you had taken on the role of uh, director for Quest. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Time, uh, the leading fashion retail recruitment company, and I'd already had a great relationship with them. And then you came into Manchester, and you're just like, wow, you know, great office, great vibe. And we partnered for on a number. Yeah. Well, we, we won't mention them because it might be yeah. um but we built up a great relationship and we've always always stayed in touch and that's really how you know david and i've always you know kept in support of each other and what we've done with our own businesses but when uh, when i approached david to come on the podcast one of the things we talked about is that you know with our audience and you're as you're listening to this now you sat there you, you might very well be a leader of a company like david you might be you know running your own um small to medium-sized business you might be you know heading up a huge division in a global business or you might be a recruiter and I get a lot of messages from recruiters who have recently started their journey those that are thinking you know one day I I want to run my own business and I think to put it very bluntly I think David wanted to cut through the bullshit of (laughs) the brilliant bits of being a leader and actually almost like a confessional so have have I pitched that right David well yeah no absolutely I guess look I I, I listened to some of the recruitment podcasts that you know that and and you know I think they're brilliant I think it's great to hear stories of MDs and owners and founders but at times it just becomes like somebody on their soapbox just you know waxing lyrical about their business and how great they are and how great their career has been and and that's you know that's fantastic for those people but actually from my position and from where I am when I come on to this kind of a conversation I'd love to try and just provide some help because I suppose the context of my career is a little bit different to other more traditional recruitment MDs careers in terms of a couple of the turns that I've taken some good some bad Um, and maybe that some of those things that I could talk about might be able to help people as depending on where they are in that journey. And that really resonates with me and I think one of the things that certainly when I've had feedback on how I position myself particularly during 2020 actually was that I shared a lot of vulnerability I gave a lot of insight into what was going on in my head you know the fact that I was scared quite a lot of 2020 um wasn't sure which way the business would go and I think that I was possibly saying things that other leaders were scared to say because you don't want to show that you were you know feeling vulnerable and um, so I love that it really does resonate with me so okay I'm just going to pick up on something you said there you know your journey hasn't been a typical one so give us a potted elevator pitch history 
Okay, so I did seven years from graduate to director level in, um, in a retail and consumer recruitment business. And I was, the, the business went from 12 to 80 people in that seven year period. I'd love to say it was all down to me, it definitely wasn't. We, but we had, it was an amazing business, really, really great people, predominantly perm. By the director level role, I had a team across three offices of 20 people and I was sitting on a board. And when I sat on that board, as a minority shareholder, I couldn't believe that it was the, that some of the things that we were talking about were the right things. And I'd start my learning journey and I didn't realize as I kind of was going on that seven year journey that I should have been learning certain things that I wasn't learning. Mm. Um, and when I got to that board level, I was kind of like, oh, is this it? Is this how the com company should be run? Is this what it is? So that when that stopped, I was like, okay, this, you know, I'm earning well, I've got a, you know, a nice place, da, 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 I'm on a, on a good journey. But if I continue on this, I, I can't see how it's going to change or how I'm going to evolve. Mm -hmm. So I started to think about what the other options were. I ended up taking some investment and investing some of my own money and setting up a brand from scratch with a, a private equity business called Hamilton Bradshaw, which was James Kahn's VC vehicle. And for the team, we set up that business, scaled, and I think my two main priorities in that, in that business were learning and cash. So I wanted to continue to earn, but it didn't matter that I was, you know, I didn't have to earn Uber amounts, but I knew that what I was building and scaling will ultimately lead to some kind of point in the future where there will be an exit and I you know, go off and buy a small Caribbean island or something like that. And it didn't quite happen that way. And then coming out of that, I then felt like I'd learned enough that I could then go and set up my own, my own business and my own brand. So I did that for about two and a half, three years. And then I had a year out of the market where I was, you know, under very, very heavy restrictions. And I guess I did a lot of kind of planning strategy, did some consulting work, and then I've, I've built the, the businesses and then arising from vertical advantage, we've, we've built nurture as well. So I guess that's the potted history. And I think it's that path, I guess, of learning um, you know, as a solo kind of owner, but also as a private equity backed um, MD. And then from grad to director level, I suppose, as you work back, that I think I've had different experiences that others might not have done. Yeah, I mean, I think that, and obviously I'm not going to impart any confidentiality or break any confidentiality here, but we we do get a lot of people that are coming to us who are probably sat where you were sat after seven years, you know, in a senior role, maybe not quite on the board, but thinking, is this it? Is this, are these the people I'm going to be learning from? And I think that is actually quite a common thing that, you know, if you grow with a business, and I love organic growth. I love hearing stories where people have progressed. I think it's really attractive for attracting new talent into the business, particularly. But I actually think that does resonate quite well. But, you know, so what would your words of caution be? So if, if, you, if you could go back to that, David, now, and you were mm -hmm. sat there thinking, right, not a case of I can do this better, but a case of is this it? What, what if you could pause in time there, what would what would you maybe have done differently or what would you have advised yourself to do? We briefly interrupt this chat on the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast to introduce to you our partnership with Vincere, the recruitment operating system. Vincere is the modern recruitment operating system for recruitment and staffing agencies around the globe. A single tech platform that unifies your CRM, your ATS, your website, 
candidate and client portals, shift scheduler, timesheets, data and analytics, and now including video interviewing and outreach all under one roof. This is the reason the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast chose to partner with Vincheri because we want to make the job of a modern recruiter as simple as possible. So if you're looking for a new recruitment CRM to manage your entire operation, visit vincheri.io and remember to mention the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast. Now, back to the chat. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I guess I'm not a massive believer in like, you know, to, to me, you know, yesterday's kind of news, it's, it's kind of gone in the past. And I, I, you know, I'm not a massive believer in rolling back the clock because I think when I made that move into do the VC back business, yeah. the learning was incredible. So I did work and I was mentored by James and I, you know, I did get exposure to incredible people. So I learned a huge amount. I think the, the first learning there is though, is, you know, it, you know, as a, you know, as a experienced recruiter, director in a recruitment firm, manager in a recruitment firm, you know, if you're taking on investment, you're not a lawyer, you're not an M&A expert, you're not a corporate finance person. So if you're going to do that, you need expert advice, really. And, you know, we, you know, I was advised, we were advised, but absolute expertise. And when you think about it, you need to think about the realities of some of the things that you're kind of agreeing with. And you need to think about the the what ifs, what if this happens, what if that happens, and you need to ask those questions, and you need to get some real security of certain things kind of down on kind of paper in and in legal form. So I think that's that's the first one. I think the second one is that there were different, particularly uh, look, that was 2008, 2009. And these days, the opportunities and the ways for recruitment owners and new recruit new recruitment owners to learn so much greater than they were you know and there's lots of you know back in back then there wasn't as many non-execs there was you know apsco and rep wasn't really as prevalent it wasn't uh, you know there wasn't as many people who were consultants who've been there and done it there was a few kind of people kind of do working in that kind of marketplace yeah. but i suppose without linkedin it was very difficult to find them and very difficult to identify who they were for a guy who'd only worked for one business for seven years based out of Hammersmith. I didn't have that broad recruitment network. Um, so, but now you can find them. So yeah. actually, I think if you're going to go and do it, you need to, and I have them now, right? I've got a, I've got a guy who's a brilliant um, MD of a, of a accountancy firm, specifically recruitment companies. And they, they work with 30, 40 different recruitment brands called Aristar. And they are amazing. Paul, who's the MD, is a, is a really, really great advisor. I've got two non-execs for, for the two businesses I've got. So even with my experience, I still need that advice and that external advice. So I think if you're going to go and do it and you want to get that learning, starting off early with either a really, really good mentor who you've worked with or just going and spending 500 quid, 700 quid a month from a fairly early stage, once you start to build in some revenue, to get that advice it's worth its weight in gold particularly in year one and year two yeah no i think that's really so so the learns that i've taken from this is first of all do your due diligence and like you say that it, it is like shopping in a sweeter shop now in terms of either investors you know mentors there's so many mm -hmm. different I, mean, I, I partner plenty of 
these options for my candidates, obviously. So there are. And so do your due diligence. Make sure it's somebody that you trust that knows what they're talking about. We're not lawyers. We are recruiters, like you say. And then the second part is absolutely invest in an non-exec director or a business mentor or coach. I think you can't know everything about everything. Nobody does. But these people, again, have been there and done it. And, and choose, choose your non-exec really carefully. It needs to be somebody that's compatible, likeable, somebody that's achieved what you're looking to achieve and that you want to learn from. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, I still, like, I, you know, confessions of an MD, I still sometimes look at my balance sheet and I, I struggle to remember, what does that line mean again? Like, what's that? Like, or look at my end of year accounts and I go, oh, God, like, I'm going to have to really embarrassingly go and ask, <laughs> like, explain to me what this this is again. And like, people don't want to admit that stuff, but how as a recruiter with five, eight, ten years experience, whatever it is when you set up, can you suddenly work your way around that and understand those differences? And you have to have that relationship with someone where, or different people, where you can ask and they can tell you, and it's okay, you know, it's okay to ask those silly questions. And I, you know, I still ask those today many times, probably the annoyance people that I ask but anyway not at all and I think you know this is where the you know the expectation on what an MD actually does or the owner of a business actually does and we're talking you know we're talking I guess owner managers right owner managers business yeah. Yeah. not a distinct difference here is that we do have to wear so many different hats so you can't possibly know everything we are going to come on to this you're not going to know everything there is to know about technology you're not going to know everything there is to know about marketing and social media you're not going to know everything there is to know about accountancy and legal that our role is to have the foresight and the vision and to have the strategy and to get people in the place that know those things and pull it all together. Yeah. So I think it's actually really, you know, transparent of you to say that because we can't know everything about everything. Yeah, but, you know, there are people out there and I would say I'm sure you're in you're in this um, in this group as well. But there are people out there who are willing to help. You know, mm. if you've helped somebody to hire somebody or tried to help somebody hire somebody, in the last few years that you really liked and resonated with, if they set up on their own and they were looking for an advisor and they called you up, yeah. I bet you'd know three or four people. And you say, look, why don't you just chat this, this and this? I'll make a few intros for you because people like you are super well networked and would know the industry really, really well. And you'd be more than happy to help. And I'm not saying you wouldn't have done that pre-pandemic, but I think the exposure of the last 18 months has basically meant that experienced people within our industry that community has really, really built so much in this last 18 months and people are willing to share and help because if you're successful in your business, in some way down the line, that will help me be successful in my business. I don't know how, yeah, but no, it will I, help the recruitment industry to be a better place. Uh, well, 100%. That's exactly it. It's, it's some kind of living vicariously through other people's success. That's what I think anybody who who is in my position particularly as a rector that's that's what we're trying to achieve it's about improving our industry and that's why this podcast means the world to me because I, I do truly believe that whichever episode you drop in and listen to hopefully it's this one uh, otherwise you won't have heard that it's, <laughs> you're gonna learn something even if it's just one thing now we're yeah. gonna talk about something quite contrary given the fact that I recruit recruiters in that you talked about and we talked about it off camera some of the perils I would say, of hiring in talent. Some people have had experience, some people haven't. And you look at the people that you're bringing into your business over a period of time and, you know, recruitment has got a notorious reputation for being a bit of a leaky ship. Um, I don't yeah. know what the latest figures of attrition are. Um, certainly it would be a little bit false anyway because of furlough, I guess. But pre, pre-pandemic, pre it was always relatively high. Um, mm. And, you know, you've not been 
you know immune to that either so just talk us through some of your experiences as a business owner of some of the you don't need to obviously do not mention names but some of the challenges of trying to get the right talent through the door and keeping hold of the ones that you want and not losing the ones that you don't want to lose okay so the, the first book even before you do that uh, when you go on for a period of time of, of hiring i think the first thing you have to do before you start thinking about what you're going to do moving forwards is you have to look backwards so you have to look at everyone that you've hired and go back through the different businesses that you've kind of worked for and analyze how truly successful were they and how are you measuring their success if you're a really kind of numbersy person who's actually just about profit and margin and numbers you want to analyze like what you were paying them what did they bill what was your roi there if it's more about what business did they bring in how did they manage account? so you've got different metrics and actually then you you classify them so i would classify recruiters into three kind of levels and i might say entry-level grads or people with less than six months experience, then people between six months and three years, and then three years plus, and put them into that kind of box and maybe some broad salary bands and get into the detail of, okay, where, where were they on that journey when they left or when they're still with you? And then actually what's been your success rates at various different levels? And then actually, what did you enjoy the most? What did you actually, what did you get the most pleasure out of? Generally speaking, you're gonna get the most pleasure out of people who are most successful who are still with you and probably still can bear the sight of you. Um, so, so I think that then should start to frame what you want to focus on and what you want to do for the future. I certainly have kind of played around with that and, and really felt I kind of honed it about 18 months, two years ago is really what the right kind of thing was for us as a business. And it was predominantly the graduate model with a, a couple of experienced hires um, dotted in. And actually some apprentices as well coming in through, you know, not, not, not just, not just grads because there's many amazing people out there who haven't chosen to go to university. So I think there is a, a big pool of people in there that are, are great opportunities for hires. Um, and then I, I, then I always start personally, I always start with, do I like them? Yeah. Like, and I know that, I know, I know that sounds like a terrible thing to say, but yeah. I spend 10, 11, 12 hours a day in the office sometimes. I don't want 25% of the office to be people who I think are knobs and who I don't really want to spend any time with. Like, you know, could have used, chosen a better, better word there. Um, but honestly, and I, they've got mangoes for like when you go on, a, you know, something social, you go for a few beers, or you go and do an event, or you go and do something fun. Again, I'd hate to be in that position where there's a couple of people that I don't want to get caught in a conversation with. I think that, I, you know, one of the joys of, being an owner of a, of a recruitment company is you get to choose the people that you work with and hopefully they're people you're going to like they don't all have to be like you but if you want to enjoy their company when you spend time with them so I start there and then and then I and then I move on to move on to the kind of the values we've got very very specific values in our business which is the acronym done so drive own nurture and enjoy and then so we, we think about that in the first interview and then if they match those attributes, generally speaking, we'll then just put them through a kind of a, a slightly more rigorous kind of second, yeah. second stage and make a call. Um, but I think getting that first bit right, knowing what kind of model you want and what kind of person you want, mm. everything else then after that is about how you treat them when they're in the company. Mm. Actually, there's, there's no kind of, you know, silver bullet. 
to making sure you you absolutely nail it with the right kind of person and you know their background and all the kind of stuff to me once they're in the door it's 95 percent of it is down to you you know and down to how how you manage them how you develop them how you coach them what kind of an environment you put them into definitely i mean there's two points there that i'll pick up on which is the likability factor is for me that it's the most untalked about thing in interview processes because you can have you know obviously in my job particularly but you know you could be interviewing marketing or developers it doesn't matter and if you don't like somebody why would you want to work with them why would they want to work with you so i do think compatibility and likability is a really important part and i'm very mindful that you know we we do all have unconscious bias so it's not just about someone looking the part or sounding the part they've got to be somebody that you do not what you would want to go and shoot a beer with but you know is this person somebody that matches the values so I think it's actually a really important point point that you have made there um and I and I do genuinely think that you know from the the sort of the way that you've expressed yourself you know that you're looking at various different channels I think is so important you know every market is talent short and so my thing is that you know just because it's worked previously doesn't mean you're going to get talent from that pool again so yes of course graduate pool but you know as a parent it's very punitive to send your children yes. to get, you know <laughs> uh is there a return on investment on doing that so actually an apprenticeship route you know even even not just someone who's maybe left school gone and worked in hospitality had a terrible couple of years they've not given up you know they've gone and done something else i think you know be open-minded on backgrounds of people because i do think that attitude and mindset goes a long long way as opposed to someone's educational journey because not everybody fits into those boxes yeah a- a- absolutely and look I, like i i completely take the point around unconscious bias mm-hmm. but actually i think it's important not to unconscious bias isn't about you know isn't about it, let's not kind of take get it away from actually the rapport that you build with someone you might it's not because they went to the same university as you or you know if you like me you like your sport etc etc that like there, we've got loads of people who have worked here and who currently work here no interest at all in those things so it's actually about it's, it's actually about you know do they have for me like do they have something about them can they carry a conversation have they got some interesting stories to tell and it's actually not just about you know being super serious and you know yeah, you hopefully you can tell from from this. I'm not the most serious of of, of MDs as well. It's not all about you know business, business, business. There has to be you know from a personal perspective. That's not going to be the same for everyone. But I say especially for new MDs or new recruitment company owners, people in those first couple of years, really trying to nail it. Think I should really hire from this big company or that or whatever it is. Honestly, honestly really really liking the person is where it should start yeah for me personally well it isn't generally and and so what are your thoughts on because I, I mean I, I partner plenty of owner mainly SMEs to be honest with you I do have a few corporate clients but many SMEs and sometimes the MDs don't get involved in the interview process and I often think well that's a shame because ultimately you're the glue that's bringing all the culture together yeah no I, I do all so we we start with a 15 to 20 minute phone screen and I do those Ah. So I, st- I do the very, very start of the process. Mm. So I always engage people on email, first of all, and try and have some kind of email exchange, like three or four, three, four or five emails back, try and get them to give me availability and then see when they can kind of do and when they can, you know, when they can make it so that I can understand what their email communication is like. Mm. Um, 
just just to get a bit of a feel for them. Then we book in a time, and I I ask for them to call me. So are they calling me on time? Are they ready for the call? Are they prepared? How have they prepared? Yeah. I try and just get like the best will in the world. I try and get them to really really like me as well and to like what we stand for and, and you know have a bit of a laugh with them. Um, and start there, right? And then I and then I introduce them to my commercial director or one of my hiring managers on email. And again, let them run through the process of organizing it that way and let them be proactive in terms of the process of, of organizing things. And then sometimes I come in at the end for the final stage interview, or sometimes I don't need to. I, I love that process, David. I, think that, I, I love the start of it. I think that's really important because I agree with you. You know, someone can be verbally very strong, but actually if they are going to be a recruiter of anything, they're going to have to communicate with clients and candidates. So I, I think that's really right. important. And I love the fact that you are at the start. I think that's, I'm, I'm possibly going to use this as a benchmark. I'm, I hope you haven't copyrighted this. Um, but I think it's really good. You know, I, I often say that, you know, there are key points of commitment, you know, do the call on time, do the follow-up when they're supposed to. These are, to me, that's just good manners, by the way. Um, and I have really high yeah. expectations. So I'm the conduit between obviously the candidate and the client as everybody is, but obviously dealing with the recruiter. So I, I really like what you've just said there. I think it's, uh, simple, so, effective. So, so my, hmm? Yeah, so my bet is if you ask your listenership your, or your recruitment owner MD listenership what's their biggest priority right now, I think 70% would say hiring and hiring talent. And then you say, what point do you come into the recruitment process? And they say at the final stage, you say, oh, okay, right. So is that how you manage it? If you were kind of from, you know, managing a search for a client, is that what you do? You get, you know, you kind of like I don't understand why the ND isn't front and center as the first person in the recruitment process making an early decision and helping that person is still to my mind going to be able to sell the journey in the best way yeah sure it might take a bit more time and you might have to spend more time doing it but it's going to get you if it's your biggest priority in your business why is it not the thing you're spending the most amount of time on yeah I'm going to contradict you I would say it's 100 percent uh, of, of recruitment <laughs> yeah, not 50%, uh, and that's no exaggeration and I hope it stays like that because if it's like yeah. that we're all doing okay uh, that's what I always say no I agree with you totally and I think you know it's where you put it on the priority and we, we all have busy schedules you know this isn't about you know taking time where you don't need to but I think you're right 15 minutes it's it's a really simple strategy so I think that's definitely going to be a huge learn for a lot of our listeners who might just look in to the current process and how many candidates are you losing to your competitors how many people are you putting through and you know you, you you've got your leader your people you know your, your managers and your team leaders going actually why were you interviewing this person so i think it's re a really important part of it so if we were to turn the clock back and you were at the start of your journey as md of well let's say vertical advantage because obviously nurture talent relatively new okay. on, what would the three key things be that you would have as your sort of key advice points to anybody that's thinking of starting out. So I just wanted to break away from the chat for 60 seconds to talk to you about an issue a lot of agencies are facing right now and what one company, Hoxo Media, are doing about it. There's a lot of talk about what it takes to be the quote unquote modern recruiter, personal branding, building an online presence, finding new and innovative ways to engage the market, whatever your market is. It's an approach most businesses are fumbling around with at the moment, to be honest. Meanwhile, Hoxo have absolutely nailed it. 
they are arguably the world's foremost marketing agency dedicated exclusively to the recruitment sector. And they've worked out what recruiters need to do to see tangible success through online activity. They've developed a proven methodology to follow on LinkedIn daily to establish you, you, as the go-to recruiter in your space and drive inbound leads and new business opportunities on a consistent basis. Now they teach it all to you over an eight week course in the Hoxo Academy. I actually completed the Hoxo Academy in the very height of COVID and it completely transformed my business. In fact, it paid for itself by the end of week two. The best place to find out more about Hoxo Media is to check out their website, hoxomedia.com or search for them on LinkedIn and give them a follow. They give away an absolute ton of valuable advice and actionable tips for free. But if and when you're ready to seriously invest in your online brand, give these guys a shout. But make sure to tell them that Leisha from Key Recruitment sent you and just quote the podcast, the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast, and they'll give you a cheeky discount as well. Not bad, eh? Now, back to the chat. Okay, so the first one um, that immediately springs to mind is I opened a Leicester office that I never should have opened. Um, and the reason why I opened it is, and, and lots of people see this, is I had a great guy working for me in London and he was from Leicester and he wanted to move back to Leicester to be closer to his family. And he thought, right, well, you know, Leicester is just over an hour from London. You know, it's, you know, it's good opportunities. It's, you know, that that kind of, part of the world there's a good kind of fmcg community up there midlands has got something so we'll set up an office and we ended up over a two-year period coming in and building that office to five or six people concurrently we built london to five or six and i was spending you know three or four nights kind of every two two nights every couple of weeks up in, in leicester and so on and so forth and i brought in and at the back end of 2016 i brought in an, a, a non-exec was a bit frustrated we were doing well but we weren't doing we weren't as far ahead as i'd hoped we would be at that time and he looked at it over a period of a couple of months and he said i don't understand why what what the purpose of the leicester office is i don't understand why you're there don't understand you know it's not generating huge amounts of revenue etc and it still goes today that the guy i had up there was great and actually one of the people that he brought or that we brought in when we closed that office, became our operations manager remotely from there. She was lovely and she was great. She was coming towards the end of her career and it was the last role that she wanted, but we couldn't hire the level of talent there that we wanted to, to be in London. And basically the non-exec advice is, look at the opportunity cost of the money that you're spending up there. Sometimes you're making a little profit, sometimes you're making a loss. You know, you're not, it's not generating, take that money out of there, spend it in London and grow a business and a culture in the London office because, and make it more central. And, and that's what you really, really should do. So just because you've got a brilliant person that you don't want to lose doesn't mean you should build a necessary an office around them. Now, today, you can obviously have them working remotely from anywhere in the world if you trust them. You know, so things have evolved. But that guy never had aspirations to just be a one man just sitting in a, you know, in his, in his back bedroom working for us. And actually, after we closed the office, I helped him with setting up his own business. We're still really, really good friends. He's actually moved to New Zealand. Oh, wow. You know, I went to his wedding. We're, we're, we're good mates. Um, and, but, you know, I should have just let him go. 
you know, should just let him go at that at that kind of a time, or we should have, you know, we should have come to some kind of arrangement. Um, so that's the first one, and that and that would be what it is. I think the the second one, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more, is is investment. An investment. To, I, what I'm talking about is investment in technology. Okay. And invest investment. In, you know, there are loads and loads of different types of. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. You're it's mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, you get lost in spending all your time doing demos mm. and like taking a demo for the sake of taking a demo because you want to get someone off from pestering you and, and nagging you on, on certain different things. So I think you've got to get your set. So I think you've got to have, when you're thinking about that and technology, you've got to have a really, really strict criteria for what problem you're trying to solve, yes. not just trying to invest in something because it's... Um, you know, it's been sold in really, really well. It looks like a really, really cool piece of kit. Okay. And I can tell you today in our business, we've got a problem with getting the um, our more junior consultants to be more confident about posting content and what content that they kind of post on LinkedIn and whatever it is. So if I had a piece of technology that could really, really help and encourage them, bring them ideas for social media content that they could use and that they could blend into kind of to posting and then that it could multi-post across different kind of formats and they could tag people etc linkedin and whatever it is that would be an amazing piece of technology because that would help me to solve a problem that we've got in our business today but i would have to i i would have to go and seek that i'd have to go and find out where that kind of is as opposed to let's take um like video interviewing our, our clients actually a lot of in big in-house talent teams they don't really need like the 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 kind of us to do this kind of visual kind of interview and if they did we could probably do it on a zoom we could record it we could send it to them yeah. so i don't need to necessarily spend money on that in vertical advantage so you're kind of thinking about what is important for your business and then due diligence coming after that and actually the mistakes that i've made is getting sold something that actually I didn't need, but it looked great. And I thought it was really, really cool. Mm -hmm. And then, or not doing the due diligence afterwards, not asking for case studies, not asking for the mobile numbers of three people who've used yeah. it and have find it really, really relevant and stuff. And again, the whole community piece of the last 18 months has meant you can find people who can give you advanced opinion one way or the other. Um, so there's that's that and I think the number three I think uh, this is a bit more uh, and, and I'll be interested to see what your opinion is on this I plan probably I used to plan 12 to 36 months in advance so I'd have a three-year plan that I'd evolve and I'd change and then I'd have a 12-month budget and I've stopped doing that because there's so many booms and slumps and cycles and actually you just end up beating yourself up yeah. about not not achieving a certain thing that you want to achieve whatever it is and actually if you do achieve what you want to achieve you've still got the next thing that you're looking after anyway so i've stopped doing that and i've just started budgeting in six month periods okay so setting a setting a budget on a six month basis the month before and signing off the week before you enter that period so we've just done it last week for this second half of our financial year coming up we've looked at the invoicing that's coming through we've looked at our current pipeline We've looked at the performance of our recruiters. We've looked at who we're looking to hire and we've dotted in the numbers across and we've worked out that, you know, 25% of our invoices invoice in the same month, 30% invoice the month after, 
and then the majority the majority are three months after because we're placing people on three months notice periods yeah. and we've then we've worked the metrics and we've run to kind of to what the numbers are and it grounds us in reality of what we truly truly expect and if we don't hit those numbers it's really really easy to look back and say why we didn't hit them yeah and then we learn and we build again yeah if you're doing it over 12 or months or longer that you just you'll forget what happened in October 2018 and what's the bit that's pissing you off about why you know why you didn't why you didn't hit a number or anything like that and also then when you're engaging a senior leadership team they can really really buy into a bonus based on a six-month period and profitability yeah. and those kind of things so yeah. that's really really important I think yeah and I think that would you have done that pre-COVID would you have even thought about doing that yeah, 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 no, to be, to be honest, I probably started doing that in about t- 2019, 2018, 2019, but the, pre- the previous business that, um, so the business that I set up with Hamilton Bradshaw, they were all about 12 month forecasts. Okay. And Thank there'd you. always be something that would happen in the 12 months that would, that, that would put it out. Yeah, exactly. Too many variables. And you know, you're always planning for success and it's always roads tinted glasses and we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna hire 10 people and they're all gonna be doing 150K yeah. in year one and da, 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 da. And of course, some do and some don't and blah, blah, blah. So. I think if you're selling uh, bread, it's probably a lot easier to forecast a year, three, three years ahead. If you're dealing with okay. human beings, it is a lot harder. So my opinion on it yeah. is this, I would say you're quite rare in being so open about that. Um, and admitting that it's really hard to financially forecast beyond even three months, let's be honest. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's sensible to look six months ahead. I still look a year ahead, but I work quarter by quarter, actually. Um, okay. Generally speaking, recruiters are on a month's notice. It's very rare you get someone on three, thank God. Yeah. Um, but I understand why you've done that. And I think more MDs would probably be sat here thinking, you're probably right. When, when obviously I speak to other business owners and we look at their forecast for headcount, et cetera, that's yeah. maybe why they're under so much pressure to try and get more people in than they can realistically get. And that's me being yeah. as a rector act because they've forecast a year, two, three years ahead. Um, and I think if the last 18 months hasn't taught people anything, it's that we actually can't predict. And I think there's just so many variables. Um, I think it possibly makes you a much more nimble business. Um, I like that you've mentioned the point about your senior leadership team with regards to profit. I think you know, I'm seeing a, a, a shift. It's not a trend yet because there's far too few people doing it, but looking at things like profit share to really engage not just their leadership team, but actually their employees as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think it will then shift the mindset of, you know, just transactional recruiters just trying to smash in a fee and get commission, yeah. actually think a, a six month profit target. Um, I think it's it gives them a lot more empowerment on agreeing better fees um, because I can't imagine any recruiter listening to this isn't looking at their average fee thinking I should be charging more and you should be charging more if you're good at work. Yeah. Simple as that. So I, I love that. I am so glad I asked all those points of you. Um, I will yeah. just talk to you off, off camera about your second point because obviously Hoxo Media can solve your problem because yeah. that's exactly what the Branding Academy does. That's exactly yeah. what it does. So we will talk off camera. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. And, and, I, and I am aware of Sean and those guys and we're connected and I've looked at, I've looked at a couple of the podcasts there and, and, and again, you, you know, you're, to be honest, you're I'm probably looking at trying to balance there some cost versus some ROI and what can we do and what can we achieve ourselves. But actually, as what they do, and I think the, the, the results that the communities that I'm in that talk about their business, the, the ROI can be phenomenal. I think at the, it's the confidence at really, really junior, more graduate 
yeah. kind of first year of recruitment, how can they speak with authority when they don't necessarily have the confidence that they're an expert in marketplaces or they're an expert in supply chain planning? How do you kind of build that? So I think that is an in, that's an interesting one. But um, yeah, I agree. Sorry, I've got a question for you, if that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. A few questions for you. What do you think the average, this is, this is totally off topic, what do you think the average referral fee internally is for recruitment businesses for when people recommend their friends to come and work for the company? I haven't actually done any genuine mathematical analysis of it. Um, Just off the top of your head, what do you think? Probably about 1,500 quid. Okay. And what do you think the average rec to rec fee is? Minimum 20%. Right, so let's, let's, so let's say the average recruiter gets hired at 35K, let's say, for example, so that's seven grand. Yeah. And, and, and how much do you think that recruitment company owners say some of our best people have come as referrals from some of our good people that we know? Oh, loads. Absolutely. It's always going to be my biggest competitor, and that's fine with me. And I always so say that. So that's a pretty big disparity, isn't it? Seven grand versus a grand and a half. Yeah. So I think the other, so it's just, just, just the thought, and it's something I'm looking at at the minute, is some of, we've got some really, really good referrers in our business. And actually, we probably should be looking to scale our referral fees as people refer more and, and, and kind of bring people in. Because actually, you incentivize those people to do it more. I don't want to talk up people being competitors to you. But as you said, you encourage it and you think it's a, a, a good thing. I am... Um, I think there is a disparity in company owners looking at that. And I'm guilty of it myself. And it's something I think in the current market, again, what's your biggest priority? Hiring. Who are your best advocates of your business? Your own people? I agree with you. Incentivize them. Incentivize your internal. If you're not looking at actually investing in a full-time internal hirer, which I think talent acquisition is possibly going to be a big growth market next year again for recruitment. It's what happened in 2010, incidentally, after we had to grow after the recession. Um, I think that you make a really valid point and it, ironically that is actually exactly the kind of conversation I have with clients managing expectations that I'm also healthy competition and ultimately yeah. any recruiter what do we do we we plug in our network my network is unique to me Lisa Holmes at Key Recruitment yep. that's not going to be unique to David Jenkins at Versical Advantage so that's Absolutely. why it's important to actually have both I'm not here to replace your internal scheme your internal scheme will never replace a potentially exclusive candidate that comes to a rec to rec. So I think it's actually a really good question you've asked me, and I'm so glad you have. Definitely good. look at it. Definitely. You, you do tell people, incentivize them. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. This has been really insightful. And I loved, I've loved your candor. I think there's been some incredible learns for people along the way, and you've done it with absolute aplomb and a big smile on your face. So thank you so much for joining good. us. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks a million for the time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Talk to you soon.